Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michaela. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. And uh, we're glad that you are here. Glad you joined us for Wednesday night, our Bible study, a time of refreshing. And uh, it's good to fellowship one with another. Already have enjoyed some good fellowship before the service and look forward to it even afterwards. But we're excited about studying God's Word and always a joy to worship the Lord through song on a Wednesday night, isn't it? And uh, get back to the song of worshiping Him and, and so forth. So we're glad you've been a part of it. All right, I don't have an usher in the back, I don't think, to hand out any extra outlines. But if maybe, up, oh, thank you, Brother Eric. I think Eric's making his way there or Judah. One of the two will be there. If you need an extra outline, we'll have some folks walk down the... Uh, Brother Eric will walk down the middle here, and uh, uh, if you need one, we'll be glad to, to get one in your hands. So you just kind of raise your hand and get his attention. Romans chapter 1, we're picking up where we left right off, and, and uh, uh, if you look there on your outline and, or up here above, you remember what we started out with as we consider verse number 1. We talked about how Paul, with his introduction to a group of people he's not yet visited, he kind of starts out with his credentials, and the one that he emphasizes right off the bat, that he is a doulos, a servant, a bond slave of the Lord. And we elaborated on that, how that wasn't just the fact that he was forced. He wasn't bought off an auctioning block. The reality was he was a yielded servant. He he chose to be that. And so, great challenge in that sense. And we talked about how he said that I am an apostle there, verse 1. In other words, the word literally means sent. Sent with a message. Sent as an ambassador we could interpret from it. And so, uh, he was sent. In other words, he was called to do something. Called to service and we expounded upon that truth and last week then we saw that uh, he says it here in verse one separated and we notice this terminology unto the gospel of god and the gospel of jesus christ both those ways of terminology paul uses many times over and so uh, the idea that he was dedicated to it that he was separated from living his life for himself for uh, selfish worldly ambitions human ambitions he was separated unto god and then we started to see here in verse 2 and following he focused now not just he and his credentials but he focused on his commander and look at verse number 2 we saw this which he had promised before by his uh, prophets in the holy scriptures he's speaking of the gospel and the gospel is as we'll see Jesus Christ concerning his son Jesus Christ verse number 3 and so what we saw was that it was a promised Excuse me, well, either one will work. <laughs> Excuse me. It was a promised uh, gospel. This gospel that, that Paul's alluding to, that he's going to be teaching, elaborating on, this faith known as Christianity, this faith in Jesus Christ, uh, it was a promised gospel down through the ages. It wasn't just uh, sectioned off to the New Testament. No, this flowed from the beginning of what we have recorded in the Scriptures. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head thou shalt bruise his heel. And so uh, a, a reflection, an allusion uh, to the cross of Calvary and the defeat of Satan and sin and death there in that one verse. And so Jesus Christ was a fulfillment. So we, we saw all this. We kind of tied it together. Now, now as we kind of finish these credentials, we're moving on to this focus. I want you to understand, and I think it's important for you and I to dwell upon this truth and this fact, that as Paul is writing, who is Paul? Well, let's put it just frankly from a human perspective, Paul was a religious murderer. He was a religious murderer. I mean, he put Christians to death. He, this was the guy who, who had in his desire to follow Judaism and to rise in the ranks. He was somebody that, boy, under the guise of religion, had put people to death. 
And boy, we see that today, don't we? It's called Islam. <laughs> Under the guise of religion, just massacre anybody you want to and other things. And certainly I'm sure there's other religions besides Islam. But I mean, I mean to put it in context, that's who Paul was. Persecution. We can go back to the Dark Ages and the Inquisition and, and other times where there was that type of oppression and so forth. So here he is as a religious murderer. What does that mean? Well, we know Paul. He was studied. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was knowledgeable of religion, the law in the past. He was a great denier of Christ. Paul was not somebody that if you were a Christian, you would have ever wanted to meet and get in an argument about God Jesus Christ being the Messiah, he would have been well-versed, well-studied. In fact, it is very apparent from his writings that Paul was likely in the same vein as a lawyer. We understand that many of those who studied the law back in that time were called lawyers. And the Pharisees, of course, many of them were well-studied, well-versed, and knew the law inside and out, knew the prophecies, knew much about God. They were, again, not someone you would want to get into a debate about. I would venture a guess that in his day, Paul was probably one of the best apologists for God, Jehovah, and Judaism before the road to Damascus came. So here he is now, the guy who, who, who would have been the outstanding star of the class, the star student who would have defended Judaism and God, Jehovah, now is the man that is writing what many have called a legal treatise for the case for Jesus Christ, the one whose name he persecuted. The one whose, whose followers he threw to the lions and... Now he is writing the case for that. I, I like how one author put it, literally describing what we might call a legal thesis in this book. Uh, he said it was a legal deed to the realm of glory. You think about that for a second. I like that description. The whole book is a legal deed to the realm of glory. As we've said, and again, just to kind of whet our appetites for this book, it is a, it, Romans is all about a rock-solid faith based upon the foundation of the rock, Jesus Christ. And so Paul establishes it throughout the book. So we want to understand here as Paul, as he's making the case for faith, even from these introductory words to the last chapter or the last part of this letter, from, from end to end of this letter, Paul is making a case for faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 1 again. Let's just kind of refamiliarize ourselves with it. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead we'll stop there the story is told of a wealthy man this wealthy man had many possessions probably his most valuable possessions was his art collection his treasures of art Likewise, this wealthy man had a, had a young son. He's quite an ordinary young man. Not, not, didn't really make a name for himself in any way. He's quite, uh, not, there not, was nothing to take notice of, but his father loved him dearly. Well, sad to say, the son died unexpectedly at a very young age. And the father was obviously, as you can imagine, was, was deeply grieved over the death of his son, so much so, so that he was heartbroken to the degree that he himself passed away just a few months after his son had died. 
the father's will, as obviously it was read, and they needed to know what to do with the estate and these wonderful art pieces and everything else. The father's will was read, and it stipulated that at his death, his, his artworks and other valuable possessions were to be publicly auctioned off uh, to the highest bidder with one single stipulation that before anything else was sold, that a painting of his son, that he personally had commissioned by a local artist, that that painting would be auctioned off first. And so certainly the the auctioneers wanted to abide by that, and so they did. On the day of the auction, many gathered, because again, it was a very elaborate collection, a very wealthy and valuable, extensive collection. Many gathered. The painting of the son was brought, and it was put on display, and, and the bidding was open. Well, neither the boy nor the artist, the local artist that was commissioned to do the painting, neither of them were famous, not many knew them, so they weren't well known, known. so a long time of silence passed. Not a single bid was heard all across the auction floor. Time kind of went on, and certainly you can imagine it was somewhat awkward. Finally, there was a small voice, a, a timid voice spoke up. It was a long-time servant of the wealthy man. And as being a servant for such a long time, he, he had befriended the boy. And so there was some connection there. He, he, he was not wealthy by any means. He didn't have much. So he just quietly and timidly, sheepishly bid 75 cents for the painting. And certainly the auctioneer took it. And certainly looking around, there was no other bids. Nothing else was given. And so quickly, uh, the bid on that item was brought to a close. And it was sold to that servant. All began anxiously awaiting the auction to continue. Uh, the prized artworks, the valuable possessions that were all left and shown and on display that many knew the rich man possessed. Well, the sale was stopped for just a moment so that an official could read publicly the remainder of the will. And as he did, it simply specified that whoever cared enough for his son to buy the painting of him would receive the rest of the estate. Now, can I tell you that is a very fitting picture of what God in heaven has done through Jesus Christ. The one who came that, listen, many expected him to come as a king, but he was rejected, despised, spat upon. He was the one that very few looked at and said, ah, this is the Son of God. Yes, that's him, the Messiah. No, they did all they can in Judaism and others. Even today, the very name of Jesus Christ is people try and attempt to suppress it and to do away with it, to find salvation in any other name. They attempt to do so. And yet God in heaven, through Paul, is trying to make a point is this. You and I have no hope of redemption outside of Jesus Christ His Son. It's only through Him. And it's all of Him. You speak of redemption, you speak of Jesus Christ. You speak of the gospel, you speak of Jesus Christ. You speak of salvation, you speak of Jesus Christ. Paul's point is very clear. It comes from one who had for so long rejected the very one who brought salvation, redemption. It comes from a one who had persecuted and tried those who had held dear this name. He is now convinced and he himself is laying out the case for why you and I and every person that has ever taken breath should believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Should believe indeed what he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Paul spreads before you and I a convincing case. And I tell you, the fact is this. 
As Paul is really saying that heaven wants us to get the simple truth that without Christ, we have nothing. And if you have Him, praise be to God, you have salvation. And as he does that, that we understand this truth, letter B, you see it there, uh, verses 3 and 4 bear it out. There is the person of the gospel. First it was the promise of the gospel, now here it is, the person. We've stated it already, it has come crystal clear to us that Jesus Christ, he is the person of the good news. I like how William Tyndale would put it. He liked to say it was the glad tidings, literally he interpreted the meaning of gospel that way. So he is the good news. But Paul adds and expounds upon this truth and, and this verse, specifically in verse number 4. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. But friend, he is the very Son of God. He's declaring him to be that. He is much more than a man, much more than a good teacher, much more than a prophet himself. Jesus Christ was the promised and now revealed and declared Son of God. Can I tell you, there's a widespread movement today to remove Jesus Christ from the gospel. There's many who, who think that they can be saved without much credence, without much being put into Jesus Christ. And somehow, unbelievably so, they try to separate salvation from Jesus Christ. Can I tell you tonight, we would be lost without Jesus Christ. You want to know somebody who does, who, who's lost, that doesn't know Jesus Christ? Just look to Israel, the nation. They don't believe in that. We had, uh, I had the privilege of just a couple nights ago and uh, coming across the, uh, the path of a Jew and being able to talk with him for about 45 minutes and just throw questions at him and so forth. And it was funny. Uh, he was actually in our house and he commented about a verse we had up on the, uh, 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 up on the wall. It's the one, some of you have seen it in our house. Yeah. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and, and mind, I believe it is, or might, excuse me, in the Old Testament might. Well, he was commenting about that. And he said at his marriage Jewish covenant, or actually contract as he put it, he said, hey, we had, that was our verse for our covenant. Well, my wife piped up and said, well, in the New Testament, it adds mind. Well, you can imagine a Jew's response to the New Testament. Uh, they don't believe in that. that. There is no New Testament to them because they, that espouses Jesus Christ. And so we were talking. It was quite interesting. I was asking him, so what do you do around Christmas? And he's from north of Detroit and things like that. But can I tell you, as I'm talking to him, their hope rests... You know where it rests? In the law. Now you tell me if that is not hopeless and boy, that just tears at your heart. Then here's Paul. Paul who tried the law. Paul for who so long gave his life to the law. He comes to write this. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got it wrong. Some of them in the world are getting it wrong. Hey, my friend, salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He's the person of the gospel. When you say salvation, you are literally saying Jesus Christ. That's who it is. And here he is hammering away this simple truth. It's not a mental ascent. It's not Jesus Christ is merely the means of salvation. In other words, listen to me. Jesus Christ is not the means to an end. In other words, I just need Jesus Christ so I can be saved. My friend, if that's your thinking tonight, you've got it all wrong. Bottom line is, you need Jesus Christ. And one of the benefits and one of the things that he brings to you and I is salvation. Let me put it this way. We might like to say this. Salvation is all about Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about the blessings I get out of it. No, it's about Him. It's the wonderful privilege of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
think of it in the terms of this, and you might have to say this a couple times to wrap your mind around it, but this, uh, notice it. I do not have a relationship with Christ because I am a Christian. I am a Christian because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, now get that for a moment. You say, Pastor Henry, it sounds to me like you just said the same thing twice. No, think about it. Yes, you see, sometimes we say, well, I'm a Christian, then, and thereby I, that must mean I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, honestly, it ought to be quite the opposite. The fact is this, if someone asked me if I'm saved, probably the best answer would be this. Well, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. And because He is my personal Savior, guess what that means? I'm saved. Now, you can say it's a matter of semantics. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we're wrong if someone asks me if I'm saved and I say, yes, I am. I I hope you certainly answer that too. But let's make sure that we understand this. I am a Christian because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is through that relationship that you and I are guaranteed to be a child of God and guaranteed a place in heaven. Because here's the problem. If I have a relationship with Jesus Christ because I am a Christian, what will people try to do? They will try to act, live, and talk like a Christian, thereby thinking they have a relationship. Much like the Jews did in Judaism. So why do you think Paul is so emphasizing, wait a minute, you need to be in Jesus Christ. You need to know the person of the gospel. You need to have a personal, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what makes you a Christian. It isn't all the exterior. It isn't all that follows that and flows from it. No, it's because you have a personal relationship with him so crucial and it seems so simple and a basic truth and yet in our minds sometimes we can kind of revert and and get it around because it's imperative for us to grasp because understanding what comes first if it were indeed opposite in other words again if if because i'm a christian i have a relationship then all i would have to do is act and think and talk like a christian and then i would have a relationship with christ but it's not so paul is establishing that christianity is all about jesus christ you are not a christian because you carry a bible you are not a christian because you go to church you are not a christian because you have personal standards you're not a christian because you go to a baptist church my friend you are a christian i trust because you have a relationship with jesus christ he is your personal savior you know him and he's made all the difference And so for Paul, he realized it on the road to Damascus. There is now a God that I can know personal. It is a Savior and a Lord that now I can have a personal relationship with. And I'll tell you, my friend, there is nothing better than to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Your friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Your Redeemer. Your Lord. That's what Paul's getting at. It, it seems like, but pastor, he's just, this is just two, three verses into the book of Romans. Oh, but I'll tell you, Paul loves the details. Uh, Paul loves bringing out the little things to teach all, every single one of us. It, it, it is a rock-solid faith that must be founded upon the rock known as Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages. Now get this passage. This is great because Paul does this in 1 Corinthians. It's a theme with Paul. He says this, but we preach what? Christ. We don't preach Christianity. We don't preach all the standards. And No, no, no. Though those things may flow, we preach Christ. And to the Jews, stumbling, and pardon me, we preach Christ crucified. 
implying for our sins. He, he was crucified for us. He paid for our sins. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And you see it unto the, the Greeks foolishness. And I like this. But unto them which are called, we'll see that tie in to what Paul says in Romans 1 in a second, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God in the wisdom of God. And I love that passage. We preach Christ. Why do we preach Christ? Because salvation is not found in any other name. No other person. It's in Jesus Christ alone. And boy, Paul is hammering it away. What's even neat about this too, Paul expounds now. Notice it in the following verses in Romans 1. Uh, He mentions David. That's important, obviously, to, to every scholarly theologian because immediately what we think of, well, the Savior, the Messiah, could not come through another line Uh, as it was prophesied that he would come through the line of David. He would be a descendant of David, of the lineage. So Christ, Paul is proclaiming, was a prophesied, miraculous human birth with the proper lineage. You say, why does Paul care? Because I said a moment ago, did you catch it? Paul is a man of details. I like it. Because you know what I like? I like studying God's Word, and I like studying the minutia of the, the Word of God to see how God does not leave any of the details out. Our God is a God of the details. And Paul is, is taking it down to the, the, the minute thing and mentions it. Listen, he's of David, and, and to some that doesn't matter, but there would be some who read his letters and say, wait a second, he's saying, wow, he, that, that fulfills prophecy. And so well, you know what Paul does? He, he finds confidence for his faith in the minutiae, the minute details. And I like that. He draws it out throughout this entire letter called Romans, and it, it, it's a treat to see it. And then verse 4 brings us back to the divine nature. As he declares him to be the Son of God, his divine nature, he possesses the power of God. And there's several things that are listed here that testify of that. You look at verse 4, and you know what we see? We see this. Number one, we see his miraculous power or display of power time and time again while he was here on earth. Verse 4 alludes to he's the son of God. He had power. He he fed the 5,000, the the 4,000. He did all these miracles. His power was on display throughout his entire ministry. His power proves he was the son of God. He goes on. He gives another uh, testimony to this fact. He he lived a sinless and and perfect life of holiness while on earth. You look at him and and those people knew the Pharisees and the the high priests and those religious leaders of the day. They were self-serving, self-promoting men. There are men who, who, who oppressed people with their laws and everything else while lifting themselves up. But here is Jesus Christ. He was altogether different. He was sinless. He wasn't self-serving. What did he do? He served people. Man, wouldn't you love to be in that day and say, hey, hey, when was the last time the Pharisees got together and put on a meal for the poor? Because it probably never happened. Hey, when was the last time? Because honestly, Jesus Christ espoused the culture of that day. What was it? Oh my, the the guy taken by thieves all go on the other side of the road. Good Samaritan. I'll just avoid that. No love of their neighbor as God has dictated. So here comes Christ, and he is altogether different than the religious leaders of the day. He is is one that, uh, boy, he, he cares about people. He loves people. Also, Paul says the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
from the day upon of his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, the Holy Spirit was on his ministry, was upon him, and blessed his ministry in a manifold in manifold ways. And then the huge clincher he lists here in verse four, he says, "By the resurrection from the dead, nothing it seems." proves the deity of God more than this simple fact. He rose again. He was seen of many. In our Sunday school lessons, many of us are, have just got done talking or are talking about how Christ appeared to His disciples three times, and two in the upper room, and then there on the shore of the sea as they were fishing. And He, 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 he made them a meal and invited them to come and dine. So he was seen of many. This is a great proof that Paul alludes to, and the story should have, would certainly have, have been passed among many people. He was seen after his death and his, resurre- his burial and resurrection. So in this simple verse, these verses here, Paul acknowledges that he is of the seed of David, thereby proving that he is indeed the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And then he lists these four things at least uh, that are substantiated, that were established proofs of the Godship of Jesus Christ. Paul always, as an apologetic statesman that I, boy, I love, he speaks lovingly and admirably about who? His commander, his Lord his chief. He simply states the fact of who he is. Now, as we think back to what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, he says Christ was what? The power of God. Paul now alludes and teaches us about what we would call the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Notice it, verse 5. By whom, and that's speaking of Jesus Christ, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. The first two words of this verse, Paul used them before, has used them time and time again in his letters. If you know much about the book of Ephesians, uh, he uses this terminology to refer to Christ. In fact, he'll use the terminology in whom or by whom and in whom. In fact, chapter 1, I believe, he uses it four times just in chapter 1 and a multitude of times throughout the book of Ephesians. And it is the whole idea that we uh, are found in Christ, that he has the power of salvation Uh, we paul is saying this that you and i are rich because of our faith in christ because of our relationship with him again it goes back to um, what i was saying a moment ago the very premise paul is setting the table for us to understand that what we have we have because we know jesus christ from salvation and redemption and the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the freedom from sin in chapter 6 and so forth and so on, all the things that he's going to elaborate on in the rest of the book of Romans, he says you have it because you are in Jesus Christ. My friend, can I tell you, it is good tonight to be in Jesus Christ. Through salvation, through faith in Him. It is good to be in Him. Notice it, he alludes to the grace of Christ. The fact that we have the unmerited and unearned and frankly the undeserved favor in the sight of God because Jesus Christ is ours and we are in Him. He alludes to that we have this calling of Christ. This calling of apostleship. 
calling of salvation even. We, we have it in Christ. Literally, we have been enlisted into the service of Christ. Why? Because we are His. Notice these two things go together. That grace, that calling, known as apostleship, as Paul even alluded to in verse 1, those two things work together in tandem. They produce the power and the means by which you and I serve God. And we produce fruit. We are obedient to the calling on our life. We serve God as Paul did, as he was a doulos. We too are called to do that. Then what happens? Well, as Christ is in us and we in Christ, here's the great truth. He produces that grace and that calling in our lives that he bestows upon us. And then he wants you and I, through that fruit, to produce or reproduce itself. To produce more. You and I, the rest of this verse says what? Well, we're supposed to be obedient to the Lord. What does that mean? That you and I take the gospel. Who does that mean we take? We take Jesus Christ, the person of the gospel. We take Jesus Christ. How does he put it in verse 5? Among all nations. For our glory, do we want people to know Fostoria Baptist Church? Do we want people to know you and I personally? No, my friend, for his namesake. That he would gain the glory to be obedient to him as a servant through grace literally is a challenge for you and I to answer the call so that others then can follow the same pattern of coming into obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we boil it all down? Say, Pastor, boy, you've said a lot. You've thrown a lot at us. Hey, uh, could we boil it down to a simple takeaway? Uh, let's put it this way. And we, I said this a moment ago, great to think on and meditate, chew mentally on. I am a Christian because I have a relationship with Christ. I do not have a relationship with Christ because I am a Christian. I just reversed it, okay? So I don't get too mixed up. Okay, I just reversed it a little bit. Same idea, same concept. I am who I am because of Jesus Christ. We, we talked about a few years ago, my identification is in Christ. That's my identification. And so this is saying nothing more, but Paul is establishing it. Man, he's, he's hammering it home. So therefore, the same powerful gospel truth, and I reworded this here because it was a little awkward on your outline, so sorry, I didn't get changed tonight. But notice it. Therefore, the same powerful gospel truth, which through God's grace and love gave me my relationship with Christ, now that's the pr- message that I am privileged to take to the world. And literally, Paul's saying, I must be obedient. You and I as Christians, we must must obey why why do we need to obey because there's people who are dying and going to hell because they don't know jesus christ people all around us my heart broke for that jew rejecting jesus christ rejecting that he he was even anything to take notice of even as he put it they were still waiting for the messiah Hmm. that ought to break our heart Paul's heart was broken for his own people, wasn't it? We know that. So you and I are challenged much here. I like what Paul does next. Look at verse 6 and 7, if you will, with me. Just We'll get started in And he says this, Among whom, speaking of Christ again, are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And it seems like he's kind of, in a way, bringing this salutation to a close. Really, um, he is, in a sense, the introductory comments, but my, it's much more than that. Um, I admire Paul for this because he starts out this letter not segregating people, but honestly, I admire his inclusivity. 
In other words, he begins this letter, he, he emphasizes several components of his camaraderie with the believers there in Rome. And so you see Rome numeral three, it's simply this, and have fun spelling it, amen? And uh, camaraderie, camaraderie, okay? I had to keep checking it. It doesn't seem right. So um, anyway, if you ever dreamed of having a Camaro? No, just kidding. Okay, there he is. Um, camaraderie, okay? So he, what does it mean? I, he just, he, he's incorporating them. He's bringing them in together. He, he's saying, hey, we as believers share this, and it ought to be displayed among believers. Let's be honest. We can be too quick to rule people out, to to ostracize them, to to not take them with this, to bring them along, to include them, even in our exhortation. But Paul connects himself. And more importantly, Jesus Christ, he connects him to the readers of this letter, those believers there in Rome. You see, Paul's not writing a letter to sing his own praises. It's not all about his greatness and what God has called him to do. No, Uh, what he has to say is this. This is all about you. This is not just my story. It's your story. This is not just my Lord. This is your Lord. He's not just done these things for me. He's done it for you too. And that's the great story of the gospel, isn't it? It always amazed me when the Jehovah's Witness comes and listen, hey, 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 144,000 chosen, but you can't be one of them. Sorry. But let me throw you, let me just give you something. Maybe you can inhabit the earth. (laughs) Now, now what kind of offer is that? No, hey, my friend, isn't it great that you and I, saved today, are inheriting the same thing as someone saved 2,000 years ago? Someone saved next week and a year from now. Listen, they'll stand on the same ground at the cross of Calvary. Man, what a great promise of Scripture. Paul is saying this. He is he, he better than anybody. Because, man, if, Paul, if, if we were esteeming people for what they've accomplished and who they were, here was Paul, the tribe of Gentleman, uh, Benjamin, well, well-versed, uh, moving on. I mean, he had it. We've seen that before. But he doesn't emphasize that. He says, no, no, no. We all have this in common in Jesus Christ. He brings everybody together in faith. Now, we understand that faith can be divisive. But I'll tell you, faith ought to be unifying. And so Paul uses it as a means of camaraderie here. In doing so, as he helps them and see that, that Jesus Christ is their commander also, Paul was focusing on encouraging them, bringing others with him in the service of Jesus Christ, winning others to Christ, and we ourselves serving God in this way. And so he was pointing to the fact that you need to obey God. Romans is very much about obeying God, yielding your members not to unrighteousness of sin, but yielding your members to righteousness, to Jesus Christ, because he's bought you with a price. We know one of the great verses here in this letter is this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. That's his message here. Why? Because Paul understands this, and we ought not to miss it, because this is crucial to the gospel in living the Christian life. He understood that obedience to the Lord is what truly opens the door for manifold blessings. As we obey, boy, we unlock the doors to God's blessing. The hymn writer, man, he nailed it. And uh, we we know the song well, and uh, Sam is here, wrote it. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. We sing the song, trust and obey. And that's it. I mean, he's right. Salvation and then obedience. A yielded servant 
So Paul is bringing somebody along. You and I must have the same heart for other people. Yes, we want to get them saved, but we said it so very often. Fantastic we see them saved, but God wants them to be brought into obedience, discipleship, grown. It's the responsibility of the church that you and I will see souls saved, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but not just stay there. Boy, they'd be sanctified and grown in the Lord. Come to obedience unto the gospel. To answer the call of apostleship, as even Paul alludes to here. And so, man, Paul is working through this process of mentoring. Romans is a great book on really mentoring. He's teaching and bringing people along and educating. He's encouraging them in the, the faith and, and in service. He's sharing with them the blessings that they now have in Christ as part of their salvation, because they have a relationship with Him. Really, we might put it this way. He wanted fruit to abound to their account through obedience. Notice it, if you will, with me real quickly. Um, uh, we notice in these two verses, I, I want to expound upon just several things real quick. Notice it. It's interesting to know that note that Paul identifies different aspects to the call. In other words, almost two different calls. One is here in verse 6, and then there's a second one in verse 7. And so, uh, verse 6, he's called of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, called to be saints. And so, it's interesting because Paul differentiates between these two calls. Here in verse 6, he's emphasizing that, wait a minute, listen, hey, hey, believers at Rome, you and I have a shared standing in Jesus Christ. We now have been called. We have accepted Him. He's ours. We are in Christ Jesus. So uh, we share that with them. Every believer around the world of every age, we have something in common with. We stand in Jesus Christ. We're in Him. It's a great truth. We stand in Him redeemed. And before we were redeemed, or to bring us to the point of redemption, He called us. And so uh, that's the term that kind of goes with it. He called us out of the nations. Verse 5 said, For faith among the nations, and of whom? Out of those nations you were called. Jesus Christ called you. It's the calling of salvation that is inherent to the proclamation of the gospel. So get it. When the gospel is proclaimed, there's a call to all men. Even today, and boy, I sure am thankful that our God is still calling men and women and children to put their faith and trust in Him. To come to know Jesus Christ. To come out of this present evil world. To to come away from the grip of the God of this world who has darkened their eyes and their heart. uh, To come in separation from their own self-seeking flesh. To come and do what? To bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You know, every track that you and I hand out, every time we get to preach the gospel from this pulpit and from every Sunday school lectern and wherever we go, the nursing home and the prison and opportunity on the work, at the workplace and in our neighborhood and our family, every time we preach the gospel, can I tell you, my friend, the call is going out. The call is going out. Come. Come. We saw a little bit of that invitation to rest on Sunday. It's a call. Sure, I'm thankful that God has not stopped calling people to put their faith and trust in Him. Paul acknowledged that he himself had received the call and accepted it, just like those believers at Rome. And so we have it in common. Then he says this, notice it. He writes this letter in love and expressing God's everlasting love for them, His special love for them as His own. 
Now, immediately we think, wait a second, doesn't God, uh, doesn't God love all of mankind? Aren't they the ones that he loves too? Well, yes and, and no. John 3.16, Romans 5.8, uh, many other verses along with them inform us um, that certainly God loves every person. But we also have to acknowledge that there is a special love. There is a, uh, really some things written especially to believers, solely believers, that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For instance, one of my favorite verses here in First John chapter 3 and verse 1, and that's not it. Let's go to this. That's it. Okay. Behold, notice it, what manner of love. Okay, so degree, expression, what type, an immeasurable amount of love. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath what? Bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. But yet the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now that's amazing. Behold what manner of love has been shown to you and I as we answer the call to come to Jesus Christ and we put our faith and trust in Him. And my friend, you and I are now called what? Beloved. In the very next verse, the first eight words of the next verse summarize the special place of love that you and I enjoy in the eyes and heart and mind of God. And it says this, Behold, now are we the sons of God. Isn't it good tonight to be a child of God? Isn't it good to be loved by your Abba, Father? Now listen to me. This is not a contradiction. Don't sit there and think for a moment and say, Ah, ah, Pastor Henry's saying that, that, boy, God doesn't love the world. He only loves kids. That's not what I'm saying. There's no contradiction here. Because I'll tell you, my friend, my love for my children does not diminish my love for someone else. And neither does it for our God. His love for you and I as His children and, and a great love as His beloved does not diminish the love of God for people. It doesn't take away from it. Is our God perfect? Yes. Is our God omnipotent, all-powerful? Yes. Can our God do anything? Yes. Is, is He corrupt in any way? No. Therefore, our God is perfect in His love for you and I as His children and He is perfect in His love for the world beyond what you and I could ever be. Oh, my friend, we have a privileged position, and we would put it this way. God has a special significance in His love for us, a significance that's found in Jesus Christ, a special outpouring of God's love for His own, His sheep, His beloved, as Paul puts here in this verse. And man, what a title it is that you and I have been given. He wants it. Paul wants the Roman believers here, yea, all believers, to never forget that they are specially loved by God. And we are His beloved. There's nothing, again, nothing that diminishes His love for the world. And forgive me, I, I'm going to real quick finish C, okay? We'll do it real quick. Notice it, verse C. We have seen this statement, this word before. You see it, he says, uh, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. That word is a familiar Greek word. We've seen it before. It's hagios. Uh, agios. It means literally the holy one or separated one. Or as we have seen, it means set apart. Set apart. Um, literally, what Paul does, he identifies our shared call. Now, this is the second call. This is the one first call to salvation. Now it's a, a call to what? A call to sainthood. 
Okay, not like the Catholic Church bestows sainthood. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what God describes. He speaks often in His Word. What is that? Well, saint literally means set apart, a holy one. It means a separated life. It means set apart, and I like this, in holiness to reflect a holy God. It is the idea that now I'm called, and I don't know what just happened. There we go. We are called to a set-apart life. A set-apart life. Set apart to God in holiness to reflect Him. And I like what one has rightly observed. Okay? We, we sang a few moments ago, and, and, uh, only one life to offer. Now listen to the statement, and we're done here. Okay? Notice the statement. There is no faith which does not lead to surrender. I like it. It's not mine. I wish it was, but I borrowed it from one of the commentators. There is no faith that does not lead to surrender. Continual, ongoing, evolving surrender. That's literally what Paul's saying here. Listen, we're not just called to Christ and salvation. It's great, a relationship with Him, but we are His beloved, and then we're called to serve Him, to be a yielded servant. And I'll tell you, my friend, we're going to pick up right there next week, okay? And uh, then we'll jump into the next section, starting verse 8, and he elaborates on some truths there. But we're going to stop there. we'll, We'll hit on some things real quick next week to finish out this thought, I think, that are great, great truths. All right, Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests up to me. We'll share these with you. We'll split up in groups of one, two, and three. We'll pray for about five minutes to seven minutes, something like that. Then I'll come back up here and, and just have a closing word of prayer. We'll go right into our congregational meeting. Again, I, I don't foresee it lasting but a couple minutes, and then we'll be out of here. Let me share these prayer requests with you. Ones that have come in tonight and on top of the others there. We mentioned the, uh, the missionaries. We'll put those back up here in just a second. And uh, guys, if you can get that ready, that'd be great. And we'll put those praises and prayer requests up here as we go to prayer in a moment. Pray for Mr. Nutt. Mr. Nutt, this is Teresa Yeoman's uh, sister's father-in-law in the hospital with pneumonia. Liver is failing, not saved, 92 years old. So pray for Mr. Nutt. Uh, this is Teresa Yeoman's sister's father-in-law. Okay, And in the hospital, pneumonia. 92 years old, obviously we understand that to be very serious. Liver failing, not safe. So salvation of the, the greatest need there, but also for healing and things there. Um, ask you uh, um, to pray, or kind of a praise to continued healing. Uh, um, I ask you to pray for Neil Seeley. Praise, he had a successful oral surgery yesterday, so thankful for that. And um, uh, just continue to pray for Neil, and thankful certainly for Barkley family and things there. So just just continue to pray. We're grateful for that surgery going well there. I ask you also to pray for Marilyn Rocket and family. This is a friend of Kim Eddy. Uh, Marilyn Rocket and family. Uh, sister passed away, was in fact murdered. So just just pray for that. Obviously some difficult situations. Her funeral was today. Um, Joyce, her sister, was saved. So we praise the Lord for that. But just pray for the Marilyn Rocket and family, a friend of Kim Eddy, and the passing of her sister rather tragically. So pray for that. Ask you to pray for Tony Shaver, Cliff and Nancy's son. Had an re- extreme reaction to poison ivy. And so he's on a second round of steroid treatments. And one arm is very swelled up and painful. So pray for Tony. The Lord would just touch and heal him, Tony Shaver, and uh, the, heal him completely of that uh, infection and things there. Ask you to pray for Floyd Young, Floyd Young. He's under the weather, sick. So pray for Floyd Young, sick and not doing well. Ask you to pray for Stan Dudley. Uh, this is a friend of Dan and Cindy and uh, in the nursing home and 
Uh, two days ago, he fell out of his wheelchair and hit, hurt his head. So just pray for healing there, protection for Stan Dudley. And the Lord would just undertake on his behalf and protect him. Stan Dudley, a friend of Dan and Cindy, after that fall and in a nursing home and things there. I ask you to pray for Tom Somerset and Barb Somerset. This is uh, Janet Carell's brother and sister-in-law. And um, Tom's lungs are failing and has COPD and nothing more can really be done for him, the doctor said. And so don't think he is saved. And Barb is not well either. And she's, uh, he has been taking care of her. And so she has told uh, Janet that she is saved. So pray uh, for both Tom and Barb, Somerset, and health and specifically uh, for Tom, but also salvation, most importantly for him. And just health for Barb and Lord would just again undertake on both of their behalves. All right. So pray for these. We have other prayer request certainly mentioned in our prayer list i encourage you to look at that and so we'll stop now we'll take a few moments the prayer request will go off here behind me from our our missionaries we'll remember those two as we go to prayer and so we'll take about five to seven minutes and we'll pray here together and then i'll come up dismiss us in prayer or close us in prayer and then we'll go right into our congregational meeting okay let's go to prayer together
given us, Lord, and the blessings that we've already enjoyed. And, Father, we're grateful for study of your word. And, Lord, just the privilege of worshiping you tonight. And, Lord, we ask now that you certainly would be with these many prayer requests, certainly the ones mentioned tonight, but also the others there inside of our prayer list. And, Father, we pray that you would work in every situation. And, Lord, above all, we ask above all else that your perfect will would be done and accomplished, Lord. And, Father, we're thankful again for your blessings. Help us now, Lord, as we go into our congregational meeting. May you just bless in that and continue to bless Fostoria Baptist Church in the year to come. And, Lord, guide and direct.